you have your Bibles, open to the book of Judges. If you're just visiting with us, we've been going through Judges all summer, a series called Cycles. Last week, Daniel gave us the beginning of, of the story of a, one of the judges named Samson. By way of review, we were going to be in Judges chapter 16, by the way. By way of review, Samson was a Nazarite. He did not cut his hair. He was told he's not to cut his hair, and he was going to be made strong. He's going to be, get supernatural strength from God. He was, he was going to be the savior of Israel, the deliverer of Israel, and his mission was to save God's people. But here's the deal with Samson. He had some issues. Anybody have any issues here today? Samson had some issues. Here are a few of them. Pride, lust, anger, vengefulness, complacency. Now, don't raise your hand, but do we have something to learn from Samson? So at this point in the story, going into chapter 16 here, Samson has already killed over 1,000 Philistines. Like, he's got a reputation. He's a, he's a guy the Philistines don't want to mess with. But here's the deal. He's killed all these Philistines, but Israel is no closer to freedom. Israel is no closer to living obediently to God than when Samson started. All the work Samson has done up to this point was on all of his actions uh, where he's destroyed the enemy, they were self-serving. Right? They were either to get him out of trouble or they were maybe him getting revenge or there's even actually a third one here, just him being a thrill seeker. This guy was a thrill seeker. Imagine, especially men, like imagine if you could beat up like a hundred guys at a time, what a rush that would be. You just kind of like go places to pick some fights, right? For the rush. That was Samson and that's where we pick up in chapter 16. Verse 1 through 3, you have Samson going to a city of Gaza. Now, that's important because it's a capital city. It's a big city just packed with Philistines, and he's going right to the heart of it. He's a thrill seeker. It says he goes and grabs a prostitute, and he sleeps with a prostitute, and he gets captured. Now, this guy would sleep with anything that would walk. That's, that was Samson, God's man. And he gets captured after sleeping with this prostitute, and he uses his God-given strength to get out of it. So here's what happened. They, they chain him to the gates of a city, right? They're like, we'll deal with him in the morning. Well, then midnight comes, and Samson breaks the chains, still hooked to the gate, and he carries this gate 36 miles to a hill outside of Hebron. Now, that, I want you to just visualize this, because that's not like this chain-link fence that they had him chained to. Okay, if you'll study the gates of a city... One of those gates would have weighed 5,000 pounds, 4,000 to 5,000 pounds. So it's not that he just carried it. He carried it 36 miles. Like that's supernatural strength. That's incredible Hulk stuff. And now you might think, man, you, Brad, like you believe that? <laughs> I guess fairy tale kind of stuff there. It's like science fiction. Um, to those of you who might be thinking that, just so you know, every, what, the reason we're here, everything we hang our hat on is that a guy was dead for three days and then he came back to life. Yes, I believe Samson carried a 5,000 pound gate 36 miles. So Samson gets out of it again. He once again is blessed by God. And here's the pattern we see with Samson. 
is the more that God blessed him, the more confident he became in himself. Samson used God's blessing as a reason to forget God. Enter Delilah. Raise your hand if you ever heard of Samson and Delilah. Good, big Sunday school story. We know this, right? Picking up in chapter 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. Now that's important because all that's telling us another Philistine woman that he's sleeping with. Whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, he's lying with this Philistine. The leaders offer her big money. This isn't just a, game. This isn't just a group of thugs that says, hey, help us capture this guy. Like, these are the leaders. They're in the capital city. This is a big deal. There's a lot at stake here for Delilah. Big money, fame. Like she's going to be known as the person that got him. She says, tell us what can happen so we can overtake him. And then in verses 5 through 14, I'm going to summarize kind of what happens. She goes to Samson, please, Samson, tell me. Tell me what it is, right? So then Samson sort of starts messing with her. He's like, all right, here's what you need to do. Take seven new bowstrings, tie me up, and my strength will go away. She does it. She says, she, she causes Samson to fall asleep. Likely, they would have slept together. He would have fallen asleep. He's bound. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are up on you. Wake up. He wakes up, snaps the bowstrings like they weren't even on him, beats these guys up, gets his rush. She's not happy about it. Why would you do that? Why would you lie? Why would you make me look stupid? Please tell me what it is. Okay, Delilah, here we go. Go get new ropes, brand new ropes, never been used. Tie me up with those, my strength will go away. Same thing, she does it. Samson, Samson, Philistines are upon you. They come in, he breaks them, beats them up, kills them, makes her look stupid again. She's not happy again. Finally, he goes to, she goes to him again. Please tell me, how could you do this? He's okay, how about this? Braid my hair, tie it to this deal, this pin it, loop it, put it to a beam and my strength will leave me. So she takes the seven locks of his hair, braids it, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks whatever he was tied to, his braids, kills the Philistines, makes her look stupid. Again, gets his rush. She says, how can you say you love me? How can you say you love me and, and you do this? Now, I want to stop right here. We won't spend a lot of time here, but can we, like, look at this relationship? <laughs> now, ideally, we're with someone, right? And it's like, I'm with you because I love you. Seems logical, yeah? Okay? But in reality... In the case of Samson and Delilah, it was, I am with you because you are useful to me. Samson was getting sex and thrills. Delilah was getting money and fame. 
and we look at this and say, oh, those idiots. I would never, we would never do anything like that. Really? Maybe we would. We just do it in a less obvious fashion. We have a lot of single people in here. If you notice, this area is st starting to fill up today. <laughs> but let me talk to, I do want to talk to the single people just for a minute, okay? Based off of this reality. Um, many of you men are going to pass over great women. Because of her looks or her social status is not what you think it should be. Or you may pick a woman because her looks and her social status is exactly what you want it to be. And many of you women are going to pass over great men because he doesn't look like what you think he should look like or he doesn't have the job that you think that he should have. Or you're going to pick him because of how he looks or because of how much money he makes. So instead of like looking for somebody who you can accomplish God's mission with together from the beginning, here's what happens. We start looking for people who are useful to us. Useful in building our self-image or useful for us in getting the lifestyle that we want. It's like the origins of many relationships are rooted in selfishness. And then we wonder why there are problems in year two and year five and year 10 and year 17. So what we saw in Samson Delilah was a taking, a taking, a taking relationship and not a giving, giving, giving relationship. And I challenge you to evaluate what you're looking for. Verse 17, Samson gives in. He's had enough. She's nagged him and nagged him and nagged him. For whatever reason, he hasn't left her. I think the reason is he liked the sex and he liked the thrills and he wouldn't leave her. And he told her all his heart, and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I'll become weak and be like any other man. So he tells her the truth. For whatever reason, he knows the truth. He tells her the truth, and then he stays there. He doesn't leave. That never made sense to me. Verse 17 and 18, he falls asleep on her lap. She gets her money, cuts his hair. Verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Just like she had all the other times. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. What a sad and tragic statement that he made. I will go out as I did at other times, but he did not know the Lord 
had left him. See, here's what happened. Samson lied to himself so much. He lied to himself over and over that he actually believed his strength was his strength. Like his mind was messed up. But see, here's the deal. It wasn't just a psychological problem that Samson had. It was a theological problem that Samson had. See, here's the deal. Samson was always dependent upon God for his strength. He just forgot it. Samson began to view his strength as an inalienable right. And he didn't view his strength as a gift from God. We, te- we see two perspectives here about Samson's strength. This is very important. I want us to look at it. Okay, the Philistines. Here's the deal with the Philistines. They thought his strength was magic. Right? Otherwise, why would they, t- why would they think seven bowstrings would work? Like they've seen this guy kill thousands of people with a bone. They've seen him drag 5,000 pound gates away and they think seven bowstrings are going to like take his strength because they believed in magic. And Samson kind of did too. He just kind of thought it was automatic and he grew complacent in what God gave him. Now here's the thing about magical powers is they're, they're, they depend on external things, right? External conditions. So I know we have some Harry Potter fans in here. So like there's this polyjuice recipe, right? And I know some of you, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Uh, but so, so, so just in case you didn't know polyjuice, that's a potion um, that allows the drinker to assume the form of someone else. It's a complicated and challenging potion that even adult witches and wizards struggle to brew correctly. Now, if you want a proper polyjuice potion, you, you would make sure that it stewed for 21 days and not 20 or 22. You can't, like, leave the knotgrass out because it would be the external conditions that would make it work. Some of you are like, Lois, you're nerding out hard. Listen, I haven't read one of these books. I saw a half a movie, fell asleep. I'm just trying to make a point here. Okay. Here's my point. We act like we believe in magic too. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think God will bless you? Well, he just will. He has in the past. He'll bless me again. Let's call complacency. That's what Samson was guilty of. Now, some of you aren't there. Some of you think God will bless you if you get everything perfect. 
Like if you get everything in the right order with the right ingredients, you think God will bless you. And no different than mixing some silly potion, you think God's blessing is going to come if you mix the right thing in the right order and you brew it this many days of Bible reading or church attendance or prayer time or helping the poor. And if you think you do all that just enough in just the right order, just the right amount of time, then you will get God's blessing. It's no different than believing in magic. Because when we believe that way, here's what happens. Our lives in Christ become mechanical and not relational. And it's called performance-based Christianity. And it minimizes the gospel. It minimizes the cross. We have a book that we're taking a lot of people through. If you haven't been through it, I strongly suggest you go through it. If you have been through it, I strongly suggest you go through it again. I'm on my fourth time going through it. Here's what this says. This is where we believe in magic. Thinking we can impress God with right living shows that we've reduced his standards far below what they actually are. We have convinced ourselves that if we just try hard enough, we can merit God's love and approval. And we believe in magic. And it's anti-gospel. And the Philistines believed they have stopped the magic. They cut his hair. You go on to verse 21, it says they gouge his eyes out, then they shackle him, and then they got him walking in a circle, grinding wheat. So if you've ever been to like a county fair and seen the, the horses walking in that circle as they're tied up, that's what they have Samson doing. He's walking in a circle. Look at verse 22. It's a weird verse. God does this a lot. Um, verse 22, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. No kidding. Like that's what hair does. But God records it. Why? Here's what I believe. I believe the point is this. The Philistines let his hair grow back. See, they concluded that because his hair was cut, he was no longer a Nazarite. And you can go to Numbers chapter 6 and read about the Nazarite vow. But here's the deal. They thought it was magic, and they thought they had stopped the magic. They had no belief in God. They had no belief in the God who Samson had made this vow to, the God who had given him his strength, and the God who Samson was supposed to be obeying. They had no belief in that God. They thought they had stopped the magic, so they let his hair grow back. But here's one thing we can't overlook. Check this out. If we go back... To Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13 and verse 7. Check this out. This is when the angel comes and he says, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. How long did God say Samson would be a Nazarite? to the day of his death. How long was Samson going to be a Nazarite? To the day of his death. God honors his word. Remember that. Verse 23. 
chapter 16. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer great sacrifice to Dagon. Dagon, that was their god, lowercase g, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the two pillars. So here's the deal. They're partying, they're praising their God. They get drunk. They call for Samson. They mock him. They laugh at him. And it says there were over 3,000 people present taking part in this party, mocking him, laughing at him, drunk. Verse 28 through 30, Samson prays to God. And in all of Samson's life, in all the story of Samson, here we see for the first time Samson exercising his faith. Can you believe that? And we know that by what he calls God in his prayer. Now, you have to do a little bit of studying there. So in his prayer, oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may avenge the Philistines for my two cries. Those aren't just, he's not just saying God. He's saying Adonai Jehovah, which means sovereign God. I know you brought me here for this. He's saying Elohim, supreme God, he calls him. He's recognizing finally the God who he made his vow to for exactly who he is. And in verse 29, we see that God restores his strength. He grasps the two pillars of the temple. And Samson destroys the temple. In verse 30, Samson dies with 3,000 plus. What was Samson's downfall? Because on its face, we could be like, man, women. Like women got him. Started way back when he saw a Philistine girl, tells his mom and dad, get me that girl, I want her. And then, and then this pattern, it was, women. That's not what got him. Samson's real temptation was to believe that he was blessed by God because he deserved it. that he was blessed by God just because he was good enough. And he grew complacent. And he saw what he had been given by God. He saw what he had been given by the grace of God, his strength, as something that was his right to do with whatever he wanted to do. That was his downfall, not Delilah. So here's my question. What has God given you 
that you think it's your right to do with whatever you want. Is he giving you a great job? Has he given you some kids? Has he given you a spouse? Has he given you money? Has he given you influence? God gave it to you. Whatever it is, God gave it to you. Don't you ever forget that. And while you're remembering it, make sure you're doing with it what he wants you to do with it. ask you another question. Why, why would God give Samson his strength again? Like he screwed it up every time he screwed it up. Why would God restore his strength? Because we can think, man, why would God do that? Well, he got his eyes gouged out. He was brought low. Samson paid his dues. Like God saw that he paid his dues, so he's going to restore his strength. Maybe God liked Samson. He just really liked him. So I thought, you know what? I like you, Samson. I'm going to give you your strength for one more time. Maybe God wanted to honor Samson, right? Maybe that's something we, our minds would go to think, yeah, maybe God wanted to honor Samson just one more time. And the answer to all those, no, no, no. That's not why God restored Samson's strength. God restored Samson's strength for one reason. And I want you to get this. Because God honors his word. God will get his mission accomplished. Hill City, listen to me. This is huge. I don't care how bad you've screwed up. We've got all these college students come back. I know there's at least one or two of them that just totally messed up all summer long. And they're back. I don't care. I don't care how bad you've screwed up. I don't care how long you've screwed up. Samson, if you will read the Bible, he screwed this up for 20 years straight years he got it wrong over and over and over 20 years got it wrong got it wrong got it wrong if you have ever responded to the gospel with faith and repentance if you've ever confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord God will get his mission accomplished through you. Do not miss that. 
You are God's child. You were adopted into the family. How long? Forever. Because that's what the Bible says. God honors his word. Philippians 1.6 is just one example of this. Let me read it. And I am sure, or some versions say, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will finish what he started in you. And he will not finish what he started in you because you are awesome or because you deserve it. God will finish what he started in you because he honors his word and he is awesome. Do not forget that because some of you are put your own shackles on. See, Samson was shackled by the enemy. Some of you put your own shackles on yourself and say, I've got it wrong for this long. There's no way God can ever use me again. And you're choosing to not believe God's word and God honors his word. Samson, oh, this is big. Samson had to become weak before he could become his strongest. The victorious Christian life is about becoming weak to become strong. Evaluate your life. Have you done that? Because like only those who admit that they are unrighteous can get the righteousness of Christ. Only those who know that their life, their strength, their blessing are purely because of grace alone can live the life God has called them to live. Read this verse with me. John 15:5. Read this out loud. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One more time. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Hill City Church, we have to remember that. Samson forgot it. If we will remember this, we will avoid the cycles that we saw over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Here's the thing about Samson. You know, he's written about in the New Testament in Hebrews in what we call the hall of fame of faith. Like he is one of the heroes of the faith. Like he messed up 99% of his life. He messed it up. And he's written about as a hero of the faith. Now here's the, here's the deal. We cannot simply come to the narrative of Samson and simply conclude, bad guy, don't be like him. He's a, he's a hero of the faith. We cannot come to Samson and simply conclude, good guy, be like him. 
Now, we can learn great truths of character from the narrative of Samson, but we cannot simply just come to the narrative with those two mindsets. I want to do this again. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the story of Samson and Delilah. Okay. I'm going to try my best to not get major chills right here, okay? But I can't promise you anything. I'm going to retell you the story. Are you ready? You ready for this? I'm going to tell you a story about a man whose birth was foretold by an angel. This man was, be the, was to be the savior of Israel who will be betrayed for silver by one who is close to him with a kiss. He breaks chains. He's arrested. He's mocked by thousands in the last hours of his life, and a temple is forever changed as he gains a greater victory through his death than he did in his life. He killed the powerful enemy, and he was a savior alone. Whoa. Who did I just tell you about? That is the gospel. Parents, please tell your kids about Samson. Please read them this narrative. But when you do, I'm begging you, point them to the great and perfect Samson. That's what this is meant to do. We have a perfect and holy Samson who delivered us and continues to deliver us to this day. And here's the deal. Samson died and it was sad and it was tragic and it's a horrible way that it had to, had to go. But he is written about the heroes of the faith. But here's the thing about the Samson we just talked about. His death was forever. We never saw or heard from Samson again. And here's the deal about this narrative of Samson. It's a narrative of a flawed and imperfect deliverer of God's people. And that should always point us to the perfect savior deliverer of God's people. See, there's a New Testament Samson who died to deliver his people and he didn't stay dead. And that's why we're here. And when we read about this Old Testament Samson, may it always point us to Jesus. He's our only hope. So I cannot be more excited. We are getting ready to start a series called Redemption, and we are going to start in Genesis, and we're going to go all the way to the cross, and we are going to be in the Old Testament for this whole semester. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see a common theme. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.